This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for the celebration of your nativity on this holy night. And I pray that you would give all of us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive that which you may have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. William the Conqueror, best known for his invasion of England in 1066, also goes down in the annals of history as the king who ordered the Great Survey of England. In 1085, the king sent his agents to survey all the land in every shire. The results of this massive census are contained in what soon became known as the Doomsday Book. It was called the Doomsday Book because its decisions about land and land holdings were unalterable, like those of the Last Judgment. It is still referenced even today, albeit rather rarely, in land disputes. And the reason for this great survey? Well, it was all about ownership, taxation, and power. About 1,000 years before the Doomsday Book, there was another great survey or census. This one was ordered by Caesar Augustus. I think we can safely say that the purpose of both these historical censuses was not, as the US census website declares for us today, to serve as the leading source of quality data about the nation's people and economy. Rather, they were about power, control, money, tax. Caesar's census provides the context in which Jesus was born. The backdrop to the choirs of angels is not a peaceful Judean hillside where all is calm and all is bright. The setting is of people living under an oppressive regime. It's politically charged. And when one considers What's going on today, one might say, not much has changed. The land of the shepherds at that time was ruled from Syria by a governor appointed by Rome. Indeed, the landscape, though perhaps geographically beautiful, was in reality bleak and stark for the ordinary everyday lives of the likes of Joseph, Mary, and all those caught up in that wretched census. The shepherds of that time and place were among the lowliest, poorest, and often despised members of society. Good news was in short supply. The currency of the day was fear, poverty, hopelessness. Into these circumstances, St. Luke tells us, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. 
I wonder what must have been racing through their minds at that moment. Are we under attack? Is it the end of the world? One of the ways that the poor and marginalized survive in a hostile world is very often by keeping their heads down and staying out of the limelight. Well, these shepherds were bathed in light as they faced something of immense power. And then, surprisingly, an angel says, fear not. And I say surprisingly, as no doubt it was a huge surprise for them, though not perhaps for us who read this story. Most of us probably know that it is pretty common pattern with angelic visitations. First, the person encountering the angel is scared out of their wits, and then the angel says, don't be afraid. More surprising, however, is what the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Joy for all the people? That sounds too good to be true. Joy for the kings, for the rich, for the powerful, maybe, but for ordinary folks, really? Interestingly, St. Luke often uses the phrase, the people, to refer to the common folk. In the first five chapters of his gospel, the people are, the people are contrasted with the religious leaders and the elite class. Yet the good news then and now is that this announcement of joy for the people truly is an announcement for all. There is, however, a caveat. While the revelation is for all people, the response, sadly, is not so universal. As the angels go on to say, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And as John tells us in his gospel, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Lest we miss it, lest we not receive the good news of great joy tonight. I want to be super clear about what, or rather who, is at the core of the message that the angels brought. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. This baby who they will find in a manger, will be three things. He will be a savior, he will be the Christ, and he will be the Lord. A savior sets free, rescues, liberates. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue us from sin and death and hell. He liberates us from our fears and our addictions. He sets us free from despair and destruction. Secondly, Jesus is also the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised, the anointed one. Christ means anointed, and in ancient Israel and still today, kings and priests 
are anointed as a sign of divine appointment and authority. The angel, however, is declaring that Jesus is not any ordinary king or any priest. He is the Lord. And this is the word used for God. What a mystery that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, would be found in a baby born in poverty. This, then, is at the heart of the Christmas story. And after the visitation of the angels to the shepherds, they say, let us see this thing that has happened. Something has indeed happened. Something had happened that changed the course of history forever. This thing, this birth of a baby 2,000 years ago, changed everything. The Word made flesh. The eternal Word, Jesus. The Word whom St. John tells us was in the beginning with God and was God. The Word, indeed God himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. This thing, this event, the Word made flesh, has the potential to change the lives of all people, the rich, the poor, those who rule over nations, and those who tend sheep. This, then, is the meaning of Christmas. It is wonderful, shocking, amazing, overwhelming. In the words of the great hymn, we, we sang this actually last Sunday at our Lessons and Carols, and if those of you who are here, we heard first a rumbling. It was the 32-foot stop of the organ, and the whole place shook, and then we began to sing. I actually couldn't sing. I, I just mouthed the words. I was quite overcome. Let all mortal flesh, that's you and me, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth. Our full homage to demand. These past few weeks I've been thinking a lot about what I might say tonight, all, all the more so as it's the last time I get to preach on Christmas Eve as your rector. I asked myself, is there a new angle? Is there a fresh insight? And on reflection, the answer is no. Indeed, I think it's not so much something new that I want to say tonight. Rather, it is something old, something tried and tested, something simple, something profound, something that if we do it, may create space for us to be changed. And it's simply this. It's the invitation to do what Mary did. After the shepherds had returned glorifying and praising God, St. Luke tells us 
Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so I wonder, what do you treasure? What is in your heart tonight? Is it a memory, a loved one, an eager hope, an expectant longing? I have to say, my heart feels rather full. Honestly, it's bittersweet standing here this evening. I think Christmas Eve is my favorite service of the year. And I treasure 20 years of Christmases at Ascension. And tonight, I treasure Andrea, my wife. I treasure my children. I treasure you. I ponder the babies that I baptized when I first came here, realizing that they are now in college. In fact, I saw one of them at the earlier service. I think there may be another one here as well, actually. I won't embarrass you. I ponder the immense privilege of walking alongside you whom I love through your grief and in your joys. I ponder what God has done in our midst. I ponder the many kindnesses that have been shown to others and the sacrifices I have seen people make. And I know that after I step down next summer, I'm going to miss so much being with you week by week. But before this sermon descends into a tear-stained, sentimental, premature goodbye fest, um, I, I, I realize that this night for many people is far from sentimental. And while some hearts are filled with joy and happy memories, and homes, some homes are filled with family and excited kids, warm, a warm hearth and an inviting table, for many other people, hearts are broken. There are homes tonight filled with grief, sadness, and the silent cries of what if, or if only. At the start of Advent, three weeks and a day ago, we heard the longing and heartfelt cry of the prophet Isaiah, oh, that you would tear open the heaven and come down. It was a cry for help amid fear, danger, and calamity. And tonight, in war-torn Israel and Gaza, in Ukraine and in many other places, in so many parts of the world far from us, there are, I'm sure, similar cries being expressed. How long, oh God? When will you do something? And closer to home, under the bridges of our city, in the tent encampments, there is so much darkness and despair, addiction, abuse, desolation. And of course, the longings, the heartaches and disappointments are by no means limited to those somewhere far away in war-torn lands or those who may be poor or homeless, they are present here, 
among us tonight. I wonder, what is on your heart tonight? Christmas can be so very hard. When all is meant to be calm and bright, many people experience chaos and darkness. And yet, even in the face of these realities, we remember and we dare to sing, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. This is the marvelous, wonderful good news of Christmas, that into the darkness light shines. God sees your pain, hears your cries, and knows your longings. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And whatever else this night may be for you, it is about God's love. God's love for you, demonstrated in Jesus. A Savior has come for you and for me. Because of the wonder of this night, we need never be without hope. No matter how dark the night, the light has come and the light shines brighter. Oh, how our souls need to hear this. If anything may overwhelm you tonight, let it be God's love for you. Contemplate afresh the manger scene in awe. Surely we need the peace the angels proclaimed. We need afresh the good news of joy. And so I invite you to be like Mary, who treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So let's take a moment, let's pause briefly tonight and ponder. If it helps you, cl close your eyes. And after a few moments, I will read over you as a prayer three verses of one of the great Christmas carols. Let us pause to ponder. For Christ is born of Mary. And gathered all above while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. How silently. How silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. 
be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. As we sing and pray and ponder afresh the incarnation, the word made flesh, the invitation remains to come and worship. For truly, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Amen. <laughs>